Good. As I, as I mentioned, um, uh, Philip and Caroline are, are away, um, and um, we've got a guest speaker this morning, um, Keith Gatesville. Um, I think, Keith, how many, t- this is your, at least your third or fourth time? Fourth fourth time preaching here, so I'm sure some of you have heard him before. Others obviously didn't stay away, but nothing. <laughs> no, we're, we're really blessed to have Keith here. Keith uh, leads uh, Kingsgate Church uh, just around the corner here in Kingston. He's here with his wife, Michelle, uh, and their children are chilling at home this morning, as I learned. Um, Keith, come, let's just pray Wonderful. for you. Thank you. And uh, um, we just want to receive from God through you this morning. So, Lord, we thank you for your presence, as we've already said, we thank you, Lord, that the entrance of your word brings light, and we pray as, as Keith speaks what you've put on his heart, Lord, that it would bring light into our hearts, that, and, and Father, that ultimately it would bear fruit. And Lord, we thank you for Keith, we thank you for the gifting that you've given him, we thank you for the blessing that he is not only to his church, but to the churches uh, in Kingston and beyond. And yeah, Lord, we just want to hear from you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Is that coming through okay? You may just have to monitor. I've got a bit of a booming voice, so if it gets too loud, just tone me down a bit, you know. Guys, it's wonderful to be here. It really is. I think it is my fourth time. Um, and just want you to know that I was, we were driving in this, this morning uh, to come and minister here, and one of the things I said to Michelle is we're coming here because we love this church. Not because uh, we're filling a slot for fill, which we are to a measure, I understand that, but we, we don't come here to fill a slot, we don't come here just to um, yeah, fill the gap of something, we, we come here because we love you. And I think when, whenever you're ministering, you, you, you should be asking those questions in your heart, are you doing it because you love the place? And uh, one of the things that's been on my mind uh, as I've been doing some preparation this week for our leaders weekend, next weekend, is just uh, I've been reminded again of the wonder and the beauty of church. You know, sometimes we can look at church and we can feel, look at ourselves and compare it to the world around us and we feel insignificant, small, powerless. But that's not how God sees us. And when you read through the book of Ephesians, he speaks about the incredible power that is present in the life of the church. It doesn't look like the power of Rome. It doesn't look like the power of the United States government or Russia or whatever it might be. It looks like the power of Jesus. And the power of Jesus is present in the church like to a measure we cannot even begin to imagine. How central we are to the whole story of salvation. We have been picked up and placed in a cosmic story. Not just, um, not just a small little sideshow in the world. Eugene Peterson speaks about about in, in his translation of uh, Ephesians, he speaks about how the church, the world is not, per- the church is not peripheral to the world, but the world is, per- is, is surround- the world is peripheral to the church. That is how central we are, and we are beautiful. You know, we can all tell stories of, of maybe places we've been hurt in, or, or, or in, in church, or frustrations, or, or things that aren't right, but I want you to know that Jesus looks at his church and he sees it as beautiful. We are more beautiful, more central, more powerful than we can begin to imagine. And that is what you are like. You are beautiful, powerful, and central. And when I was worshiping, I looked around and I said, Lord, I I really pray that we would see these seats filled. Not to make ourselves look good, not to make ourselves, uh, not, not to fan into flame some insecurity of making us feel important, but because we want people to know Jesus. And he is beautiful and amazing, more amazing than we can imagine. So, Lord, I do pray that we would see these seats filled and that we would see many come to salvation, the knowledge of who you are and the wonder of who you are. Uh, Would you do that, Lord? We do not want to be those who do not have because we do not ask. 
And so we ask, Lord, come and fill this place with your glory. Come and fill this place with worshiping people, honoring and loving you. Okay. All right. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Keith. This is my wife, Michelle. Um, and we have the great privilege of leading together. We lead Kingsgate Church, which is just down the drag. Um, and we're part of the, what God is doing here in Kingston and feel very privileged to be part of that. Uh, we have three children. One of my girls is about to turn 20. and She's studying in Manchester University, which is where my family's from. Uh, my dad's family's from, uh, my dad was from Manchester. So are you uh, from Lancashire at all? Or? Oh, I used to live in Preston. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, when I came over to the UK when I was four, we stayed in a place called Longridge. I know. Yeah, no one else does. <laughs> I spoke to someone the other day. He said, I'm from Preston. I said, we stayed in Longridge. He said, no one knows where Longridge is. I thought, oh, it was kind of special. Anyway, um, and my other daughter, she's 17, doing her A-levels, just about to turn 17. And my little boy is just about to turn 12, and he's the sports mad, everything, sport is sport, sport, sport. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're not with us this morning. But what I... I, I, I um, I wanted to piggyback, if you like, off the series that Phil has been doing um, on Connect, and you, you apparently you've been looking at John chapter 4, is that correct? Just um, needing some help here, I am on the right page as you and Phil, that's wonderful. And, um, and so I said to Phil, I'd like to start off with looking at uh, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 4, make a few comments, and then uh, maybe take a little bit of an unusual detour. Um, but if you have a look at John chapter 4, and I'm just going to read three verses. I'm going to move between two translations. I do love the ESV, and I know Phil loves the ESV. Phil, I just want to say, first of all, thank you for the privilege, Phil, of being ministering here in your church. I never take that lightly. Thank you so much. And sorry that I'm not using the ESV this morning. Um, but I'm going to start with the, the New Living Translation, the NLT. And John chapter 4, verse 27 to 30 Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. For those of you who've been around during the series, you must probably be familiar with this passage and familiar uh, with the story and what's taking place. And one of the things I like to do when I read scripture and when I prepare is I like to use my imagination. I think it's a good thing to do. Um, and uh, I, I was preparing and I thought, imagine what it would have been like at that moment, seeing that lady um, drop that jar of water and rush off to this village and to tell them about this man she's just met. Not about a doctrine, um, uh, not about an organization, uh, not about a morality program, but about a man she's met. She's met this man. And she runs back to this village where she would have been ostracized. I picked this up from the the story that she's obviously a lady of a reputation. Uh, You may well have gone through some of this with Philip, that uh, she had a reputation. Uh, She had uh, five relationships or five husbands, the way they used that phrase in the Gospel of John. And the people in the village would have known this. And I would imagine that they would have maybe spoken about her behind her back. And, uh, you know, she was the woman with the reputation. And, um, but somehow she, something happens to her. She meets somebody. She encounters, I mean, we as charismatics love the word encounter, but it's a bit of a loaded word sometimes. Uh, it can mean a whole raft of things to different people, but bear with me. She encounters somebody, something. 
and it causes her to run back to her village. It causes her to forget about her water jar. It causes her to forget about her shame. It, forgets, it causes her to forget about the abuse and the hurt that she may have received in that village. And she runs back to those people, something so powerful that she's met, somebody so amazing that she has met, and she rushes back. Something significant has happened to her. And she's met this man, and I was thinking about, this is quite a strange thing, he told me everything, he told me everything about me. And like, I thought, well, that's, you know, judging from what we're hearing about your life, that must be pretty revealing. Like, do you want people to know everything about you? He seems to know everything about her, and yet she's not filled with shame in that moment, but love, acceptance, and hope in that space. Isn't the power of the gospel not to, to bring guilt and shame, but to bring hope and love in the darkest spaces. Anyway, she, she runs back instead of slinking away. And we get to the village, and she, we, the, the, the passage tells us a little bit about what she says to the village. And, and then the village responds. I mean, this is the village who know what this woman is like. And, um, you know, in, in the time of uh, Jesus, um, women were not considered uh, reliable uh, witnesses. And um, they, if I'm not mistaken, Phil um, can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the examples of shepherds, tax collectors, and women were not allowed to be uh, um, witnesses in court. And uh, that's what makes the gospel so amazing, because some of the most powerful witnesses are women. Uh, isn't it defying the culture of the time that the gospels come to break down those barriers? Amazing. Um, but this is not only a, a woman, but it's a woman with a reputation. Um, you see, God uses the, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He uses a woman with a reputation who's met Jesus to run back to the village, and the village who know everything about her respond, and they come streaming out, it says, to, um, to meet this man who has told her everything about her. And this is the kind of point I'm wanting to bring across this morning. It's amazing what somebody will do when they've actually met Jesus. It's amazing what somebody will do when they are captured by the wonder of the gospel. When, it, when it's not just kind of like a peripheral head knowledge, but something deep inside of us. You know what they do? They, they kind of run past their fears. They, um, they, they, they forgive more easily as they rush back to places to tell people about Jesus. And, and it's amazing the response that people have to somebody who's been impacted by the wonder of the gospel. It not only is incredible what it does to the messenger, but it is, it's, incredible, it's incredible what it does to those who receive the message. So one of the things Philip has been saying, Philip said to me, is he said that you've been looking at a lot of Again, I need some just kind of head knowledge, head waving, just that I'm on the same page. Just even if it's just to make me feel good. Um, that you've been talking about a lot of practical ways in which to engage with people and to share the gospel. And I just want to say, I think that is such a good thing. I must get Phil's notes because I think what we can sometimes feel is we don't know how to make that first conversation. We, we, um, I'm an extrovert. So it's a bit easier for people like me. All the introverts just kind of freeze up when it comes to evangelism. Like, oh, I don't want to share. What do I say? I understand that. But um, 
it's so good to have those handles. They're really, really helpful. So I think it's a wonderful thing and something we want to do at Kingsgate. But I wanted to say this. All the practical guidelines and techniques we can have about sharing our faith are only helpful to the extent that they are being used by people who know Jesus, are in love with him, and are amazed by the gospel. The most natural evangelists are lovers. The most natural evangelists are those who are in wonder of what Jesus has done. And the trouble is that for us as Christians, we get jaded. And you know what? Even pastors, even pastors get jaded. We get and it just struck me the other day, you know, I've been doing a lot of preparation on this, and we can get caught up with the busyness of life, um, preparing for, in my world now, preparing messages, doing leadership times, sorting out uh, schedules and rosters and budgeting, etc., etc. We get with the busyness of life. The other thing is we get so, we get, if you've been a Christian for a while, and there may be, I would imagine a number of you have been Christians for a while, we, we get the stories of Jesus, and Jesus himself become a bit like white noise. You hear the wonder of Jesus, and what I say, the wonder of the gospel, and you hear about and that's not tongues, that's just, uh, that's what you hear. And you say, you know, he died for our sins. What is true for Jesus is true for me. That's incredible. What is true, what, what Jesus is by nature, is I am by grace. I mean, these are phenomenal. And we get jaded to it. We've heard the stories. We've heard the songs. We've sung them. And, and some inside in that space, we just get used to it. Maybe we have disappointments. Maybe we have things which are frustrations for us. And over time, we get jaded. And consequently, what can happen is we either drift to the background or to do things primarily because we have to do them. And listen, I think it's good. So we all have to, in our lives, have to do things because we have to do them. Um, obligation can sometimes be a dirty word, but I've got obligations as a father. And I've got obligations as a, as a, as a, as a husband. But I don't want to love my children out of obligation. You know, I, I want to love them because I love them. And N.T. Wright speaks about how everything we do for God ultimately has to be worship. And we only worship when we know the love and know who he is and what he's done in, our, in all of that. And that includes evangelism. That includes sharing Jesus. I mean, let, let's be honest here. There's not much motivation to share a Jesus you don't know. Or share a gospel you're not in wonder of. It's not so amazing to me, but my pastor told me I better share. So, yeah, I said, Jesus died for your sins. And I, oh, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. To be amazed. You know, this funny thing just about knowing, you know, knowing God. I, I was challenged by this. Uh, it really arrested me a couple of years ago. I was, uh, is there a clock anywhere in this room? Otherwise, we could be, anyway, just fine. I won't be that long. Um, I was arrested by this a couple of years ago. I was reading a book, and, at the, uh, and in the book, um, the, the guy had 19 devotions um, at the end of the book uh, over 19 days. And, the, and the, the first or second one said, describe to somebody the Jesus you know. Not the Jesus you've read about, 
not the theological doctrine of Jesus, not the doctrine of salvation. Describe Jesus you know. And it really struck me how my walk with God had become a collection of doctrines and theories, preaching initiatives. And what about the Jesus I know? And it got me into a space of saying, Lord, I, 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 I'm wanting to find you and know you. Because she ran from that well saying, come and meet a man. Come and meet a man. And we talk about our faith. You know, we, we can sometimes as Christians just boldly say, no, it's about relationship, not rules. But is it really about relationship? Do we really know him? And you know, all of us have the ability to know Jesus far beyond than we can be, even begin to imagine. I looked at, um, if you look at 1 John, um, uh, John says to the disciples right at the beginning, he says to his readers at the very beginning, he says, I, I, I want you to have fellowship with us. Now here's John who, who walked with Jesus in the flesh. And yet he could say, I've still got fellowship with the Father and the Son. It looks different. It's not quite the same as when Jesus walked in the flesh, but there is such a reality to my relationship with Jesus, such a, relation, such a reality to my relationship with the Father and the Son, that I, it's fullness of joy is in this place, and I want you to share this fellowship and this relationship. It's interesting, I, this, this kind of idea of being evangelists um, because we are in love, was, was really brought home to me um, a number of years ago because uh, something happened at our church. And uh, we have a conference uh, once a year. It's our conference, non-conference, because I've got to think about conferences. I, I, anyway, it's my own issues I'm working through. Um, and uh, so we call it a non-conference because um, I've got this thing about people rushing off from one conference to another conference to another conference trying to find this sensational moment and not walking in the reality of Jesus in the ordinary and every day. But that's another preach. Um, so we've got this conference, non-conference, and really a large portion of the time is just worship. We, we spend time worshiping God. And I'll never forget the one Saturday night, which was the last night of our conference, non-conference, and we worshiping on and on and on and uh, into the like, late, uh, late evening. I think we left just after 12 o'clock, and uh, Michelle and I walked out, and we were walking home, and we saw the people who'd been worshiping Jesus. Uh, just as we walked out, we saw them that's our team, aren't they? That's our church, praying for people. And there were these little groups of people all outside, off their own initiative. No one had motivated this. No one had said, hey, I think now let's go into the streets. Off their own bat, having encountered God, having something of the wonder of who he is stirred up inside of them, they just naturally went out and were praying for people. And I just saw all these people around doing it. I thought, isn't it amazing what happens when people's hearts are captured? Isn't it amazing what happens when people meet somebody at the well and say, come and meet a man. Come and meet a man. So what I, I'd like to do um, this morning is just touch on a, just take some uh, stuff from a psalm called Psalm 73. It's, I um, just want to pull some uh, points from it. Psalm 73 is a, is a, is a great psalm. And, and one of the reasons I, lo I love Psalm 73 is I can relate to it as we can all relate to most of the Psalms at one stage or another. And I think it's something which all of us Christians go through. Uh, in the first part of the Psalm, you see the, the Psalmist talks about how, how he became cynical, bitter uh, with life. 
and then there's a transition, and he talks about the second part of it. But it is one of my favorite psalms. So I'm just going to read um, a little bit of it, and then make some comments, and then we're going to do that. Is that all right? You have to say that, because it's just awkward if you said no. All right. So I'm going to start. I'm reading from the NIV here. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped, and I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Now I'm going to stop there. It gets better. But one of the things that really strikes me about the psalm, and and he makes reference to it later on, is that he has allowed bitterness and cynicism and resentment to get into his heart. And just the horrible thing, and it's true, is that even for us Christians, filled with the Spirit of God, we can allow the same thing to happen. Bitterness, resentment, and cynicism. And one of the things that comes through here, he said, the thing for me is he's lost perspective. And he makes these comments. He sees the people's lives who don't believe in God, and he sees their lives as perfect. I love this one phrase over here. He says, um, Therefore their mouths they came to... Sorry, I'm getting there. They They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. So he's created in his mind this picture of the people who don't believe in Jesus as everything is absolutely perfect and no issues at all. Now that's not quite true, is it? Because here's an unfortunate thing, is that good things and bad things happen to good people and bad people. But when we get bitter, when we get cynical, when we get resentful, what happens is we begin to view people differently. We begin to view the world differently. And importantly, with regards to what we're talking about today, there's certainly no love that he's feeling towards these people. The second thing is he starts losing perspective about his own life. I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. And in the NIV, it says, um, it mentions the word here, and every morning brings new punishments. Now, equally, that's also not true. But losing clarity, losing um, uh, uh, perspective, he's, become, so he's, he's got, begun to wallow in a, in a space of self-pity. The third thing, he's lost perspective about what it means to believe and worship God. He says, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? And when I read that, I thought, isn't that just like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son? Why have I served you all these days? You see, when we lose relationship with God, 
and we lose the awe and the wonder, then all the stuff we do becomes, you owe me, God. Because this is how we, our, our faith ends up being. It says, it's all quid pro quo. I've done my bit, now God, you've got to do your bit. But our, 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 our religion, our faith doesn't work like that. Everything we get, we don't deserve. Everything we get is a gift from God. And we receive that as a gift. And the good I do is not to make God love me. And the good I do is not to twist God's arm so he's going to give me a marriage, give me a child, give me a job, heal me, or anything else. The good I do, I do because of who he is and I'm in love with him. I do it as an act of worship. But what has happened in verses 1 through to 15 is we see the cynicism growing. And then in verse 16, he goes on and he says, when I tried to understand all this, it deeply troubled me. He tried to work it out in his mind. And I'm somebody who overthinks terribly. I overthink, and ask my wife, my master's tutor, everyone, I think you overthink too much. And so when you, and, and trying to sort this all out in his mind, he, he see, he didn't, he didn't, uh, he, he, what he didn't really need was a whole lot of logical answers. What, what this psalmist needs is he needs to meet God. And sometimes in our lives what we need, actually many times in our lives what we need is not a trite answer, not a formula, not a mathematical equation, but we need to meet God. You know, the, the scriptures are full of these, these stories of people who meet God and their lives are changed. Zacchaeus meets God. Paul on the road to Damascus meets God. And those are extreme or, or phenomenal examples. But every single one of you, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ in some way, some shape or form, have met God. And we are meant to meet, make that not just a, a moment that we live, but it's supposed to be something which increasingly becomes part of our life, that we meet God. You see, and what you have at this moment in verse 16, you have a choice. And what I've seen Christians do is they can have one choice, is they can say, you know what, I'm just going to start imitating the world. You know, why am I really, why am I really doing this thing? So what I'm going to do is, you know, I'm just suddenly start making the same decisions as the world around me, putting in the same priorities as the world around me. I'm just going to start, doing, and they don't tell anybody, they don't say anything, but just the general drift of their life. You see, actually, why on earth am I doing all of this? And it's a slow drift, it's a slow drift away. Or it can just be a, a, a total walk away from the faith. But what this man does, by God's grace, is he steps into the sanctuary. And then it says in verse 17, the, the passage on which this whole psalm hinges, it says, till I entered the sanctuary of God. At that moment, the psalmist stops arguing and wrestling, and he gives up and he worships. And in some way, this is a journey that all of us have to go on regularly. We get jaded and impacted by the world around us. We lose perspective. We need to cross over that threshold into that sanctuary to be reminded of the wonder of God and to get perspective. And you know, here's the interesting thing about this, because there's a sovereignty of God. There's, you know, uh, God, by his grace, holds me and keeps me. It's him who protects my faith. It's him who holds me. 
You know, I love that passage in Luke where Peter says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and Jesus says, no, no, you're not. You're going to actually do X, Y, and Z, but just okay, I'm praying for you, and you'll be safe. So there's a sovereignty, and the Bible talks a lot about that. But the Bible also talks a lot about our response. And here's a tricky thing as a pastor, as a preacher, is that I can't make you get into that space. I can't make you cross that threshold into the intimacy with God. I can't make you prioritize that. I can't make that part of your life. And you can't make a part of my life. We all have that responsibility. And we all have that decision. He came to that spot where he eventually had to say, I'm going to go into that sanctuary. It's interesting, I'm preaching through the book of Ephesians at the moment in Kingsgate. And um, in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, they're amazing. I mean, like, it's like Paul is running out of adjectives. In the one passage, he uses basically every word in the Greek available for incredible, awesome, magnificent. And it's like, and he intersperses, he intersperses uh, Ephesians 1 to 3 with two famous prayers. And the reason being because he's knowing that I can use all the adjectives I want in the Greek language, but what we really need is God to bring the spirit of wisdom and revelation into us so that we would know. So he said, this is incredible. Lord, please, please, please help. This is incredible. Please, please, please. So he, this is at Ephesians 1 to 3. It's a wonderful, wonderful passage. And then it gets to Ephesians 4. Chapter 1, where he says, I beg of you, I beg of you, live a life worthy of your calling. And you know what's amazing about that? It's not a given. It's not a given that you're going to walk in the fullness of the awareness of the greatness of God in your life. It's not going to fall out the sky. It's just not going to pop down in your bed one day or in your morning while you're having your coffee. There is a call and a response that comes from us. And the thing I'm trying to get across this morning is if we want to be people who gladly take the message of Jesus to this world, people, we have to take responsibility for our intimacy with Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves, what is stopping us? What stands in the way? What busyness, what valid things have we put in our spaces which stop us from, boring, from getting into that place of intimacy with Jesus, of stepping in through that threshold into the sanctuary, so to speak, using the language of the psalm and worshiping him. Philip can't do it for you. We are responsible for that. Nobody can make you. And one of the questions worth asking is, what, can, what are some of the things that stop us? What are some of the things that stop us? And you know, they can be incredibly valid things. I walked into our time of worship last night. We have a, a worship time uh, once a month on a Saturday evening, and I hadn't been. I don't know when last I had been. And I had a lot of really good reasons not to go. Preparing preachers, preparing leadership times. The pastor needs to rest hadn't seen my boy during the week. All these valid reasons. But something arrested me when I walked through that door last night. And I thought, oh Lord, where's my love for you? You see, we can put very valid things in the space of worshiping him. And then it goes to verse 18 to 27 of Psalm 73. And he says, 
Surely you place them on a slippery slope. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes, when you arise, sorry, they are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. And when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was a senseless and ignorant, I was senseless and ignorant, and I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. And these are some of my favorite words in all the, all the Psalms. Um, you hold me, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. And then these two verses are some of my best in the, in the Psalms. Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. Isn't it amazing how his attitude has changed? It's amazing how our attitudes change when we enter into that sanctuary. And we allow our hearts to be captured by the wonder of Jesus and the wonder of God and why we're in this in the first place. Why are we doing this? Now he no longer sees himself as lack, but he now sees himself as incredibly rich. And then it gets to verse 28, and I noticed this. I hadn't even intended it, but when I read through the psalm, it got to this last bit, and it said, But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. The New Living Translation, I prefer the way it says, it says, I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. We have an evangelist. We've got an evangelist here at the verse 28. As the psalm ends, we've got an evangelist from a cynic, resentful, bitter person who saw people out there as full of problems and everything unfair, who doubted what he had, who saw his life as a misery, didn't have any of the thankfulness of God, wondered what on earth all this believing in God stuff was all about. All changed when he comes into the sanctuary. He sees the world around him differently. Instead of trying to just, instead of just saying these terrible people, he says, I want to tell them, anybody. Instead of saying how miserable my life is, he says, I want to tell them how blessed I am. Rather than saying, what's the point of all this God stuff that we do? He said, oh, isn't it amazing? So all the good stuff that Phil is teaching you about how to connect with people and not only helpful ways in connecting with people, but also sensitive ways in connecting with people, which is really hugely important. All of that rests upon lovers. And my question for all of you today, as is my question for myself, as I got up this morning, is what is my love for Jesus like? Am I still captured by the wonder of this gospel? Am I still captured by the wonder? The difference for the psalmist is he has met God, just like the lady at the well. And she rushes off, drops that jar, rushes to the village, overcomes the shame, all the fear, because she knows Jesus. All right. So that's what I wanted to bring with to you this morning. But what, I, what I'd like to do 
is I, I wonder if we could just finish with a song. And um, not, uh, you know, even if, uh, even if you just sing over us, that's perfectly fine. But I want us just to reflect for a moment um, just on, on our relationships that we have with God. And there may be people here this morning who've never put their trust in Jesus Christ. And before you go, I'm not sure how you do it here at King's Church, but before you go this morning, please don't leave without coming to speak to us, either myself or Patrick at the front. And we would just love to pray with you, tell you a little bit more about this Jesus, this Jesus who, who turns cynics, resentful, bitter people into worshipers, wants to do that with your life too. Equally, you may be here this morning and you're so in love with Jesus. As the song is sung, you just say, Jesus, you're brilliant. I love you. More, 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 more. In good charismatic fashion. Uh, but you may be here this morning as well saying, you know, Lord, Jesus, actually, this has really struck a nerve with me. And, and I really want to know you more. Help me. Holy Spirit, reveal to me. And it might just be a moment of just holding out your hands and saying, Lord, help me into that space. All right. So let's close our eyes. Let's reflect on what's been shared. And if we can just, if we can just pray that song over us, it would be amazing.